really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more all about the world of rugby. I am your host, David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, I would love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. And you can always just drop me a good old-fashioned email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So, as always... There was a ton of rugby this weekend. There was a lot to talk about, so let's jump right in. So, as always, we start with our current updates, and not a whole heck of a lot to report this week on the home front, um, though my partner was actually away all week, taking a lovely little vacation to Iceland with her sister. Um, You know, they hit all the touristy spots. They hardly fought at all. I mean, except for all the times they were fighting. Uh, But in the end, it was a big success. I was jealous to miss out on that one for sure. On the other hand, in her absence, my son absolutely doubled down on dad stuff this week, just dishing out extra hugs and saying the sweetest things with unusual regularity. He, uh... He also spent some time with my parents during the days while I was at work. He got to go on a couple field trips with his after-school program, including a visit to the New England Patriots Hall of Fame, another place I've never been. Only as I'm saying this now do I realize my entire family got to go to places and see things that I'd never have this week. But, you know, you got to do what you got to do. So I'll keep holding on to the great times that he and I had at home, just the two of us. It was awesome. uh, By the way, I introduced him to the old Calvin and Hobbes comic books that I've been holding on to. And I also introduced tracing paper and uh, that combination. Woo, it's opened up a whole new world to him artistically. It's fantastic. Just great times. I'm one happy dad this week. It's too good. It's too good. People have to know. Well, Isa, once again, it's good and bad news, I guess, depending on how you look at it, with the announcement that Stuart McAnally is retiring from rugby as of what is now this past Friday. So quoting here from the BBC, quote, Edinburgh and Scotland hooker Stuart McAnally will play his final game on Friday for the club before retiring to become a commercial airline pilot. The former Scotland captain has uh, 47 caps and his 176 Edinburgh appearances puts him sixth on the club's all-time list. McAnally, 32, who will officially retire when his contract ends in November, bows out in Friday's URC uh, match at Ulster. Quote, it was really tough knowing this was the move, uh, moment to move on, unquote, he said. Quote, I always thought it would be really easy to retire because I've always known what I want to do after rugby, become a pilot. But stepping away from the club I love is massive and it's been a huge decision, unquote. McAnally, who already holds a private pilot's license, is ready to embrace an exciting opportunity and earn his wings in professional aviation. Quote, While I'm obviously sad to be moving on, the decision has really been 10 years in the making, he added. I started flying back in 2013, and a lot of work has gone into to to get to this point. I'm now massively excited to pursue a career as a commercial airline pilot, unquote. Originally a back row, he switched to hooker in 2013 on the advice of the Scotland coaching staff. He won his first cap against Italy in 2015 and was part of Scotland's squad for the World Cup in England that autumn. He went on to captain club and country, leading Scotland at the 2019 World Cup in Japan. His most recent international appearance came in the 2022 Six Nations win away to Italy, although he could yet add to his tally before bowing out after this year's World Cup. 
Edinburgh's um, Edinburgh head coach Mike Blair paid tribute to the club legend McAnally, adding, quote, he'll go down as one of Edinburgh's most celebrated players because of his commitment to the jersey and dedication to being the best player he can possibly be for his boyhood team. He's the definition of a complete professional, and his teammates look up to him because of his leadership, unquote. Mr. McAnally, we will miss you, sir, but uh, of course, we wish you all the best flying the friendly skies. So moving on to our thoughts of the week, and my thoughts this week are actually down in New Zealand, where Roger Tuivasa-Shek announced he's leaving Rugby Union to return to league. So quoting here from The Guardian, quote, Roger Tuivasa-Shek is set to make a shock return to rugby league after inking a three-year deal with the New Zealand Warriors from 2024. Tuivasa-Shek left the NRL midway through 2021 after signing to play rugby union with the Auckland-based Blues before making his All Blacks debut last year. His Blues deal had been set to expire at the end of this year, and it had been speculated that he could move to Japanese rugby next season, but the 29-year-old will instead return to the Warriors, having previously captained the club and played 111 of his 195 NRL matches there. The Warriors CEO, Cameron George, said it was, quote, hugely exciting, unquote, to be welcoming the former captain back to Mount Smart Stadium. Quote, when he went to Rugby Union, he did so knowing he was always welcome back here if he wished to return to Rugby League. We couldn't be more delighted it's happening, George said. He's popular with the players and a real fan favorite. It's going to be so good seeing him back in our jersey, unquote. This was a serious, you know, big surprise for me. I, um, and on top of it, I've also heard he's still keen to join the ABs during the World Cup. I kind of thought this move would have taken him right out of consideration. But um, I mean, especially since he was a sort of borderline on the edge anyway. But, I, you know, I guess in five months, we will all find out. Okay, that brings us to our reviews, and there are a lot of them. So we're going to start, as always, with Women's Six Nations. For those of you still awaiting a Rachel Law update, we're supposed to do a big recap episode after the tournament ends. My apologies for not getting that together sooner, um, but believe me, it should still be really fun and really enlightening, as she always is. Um, This week, though, for round four... Ireland were at home at Musgrave Park to face England, and it was another forgettable scoreline for the Irish, getting shut out by the Red Roses by 48 points. The only consolation, I suppose, that the English didn't drop even more on them. Uh, Scotland were back at home to take on Italy. Um, they got an exciting win to get into that win column. It was 29 to 21. Fast, fantastic scenes afterwards from the goddamn health. Finally. France. They were in Grenoble to host Wales, and France continued to roll. The only other undefeated team besides England this year, beating the Welsh 39-14 to by the end. Don't forget, next Saturday has one of the most heavily anticipated women's games to date, where England will finish out the tournament at home against France. What a showdown that's going to be. Meanwhile, it was the final round in the United Rugby Championship this year, for the regular season at least, and from the voting results on the Twitters, Dragons versus Scarlets was our featured game in the URC this week. Of course, it was Judgment Day at the Principality Stadium in Cardiff. As someone who always roots for the underdog, I was very excited to see Dragons score first, and after a dim-witted yellow by Scarlets, they poured in another two tries before 15 minutes had even gone by, presto, 21-0 to the nominal home side, quote, The Dragons are always a bit of a banana peel in these derbies, unquote, said the comms, and I was fired up. Quote, October was the last time the Dragons enjoyed a victory in the URC, said Gareth Reese-Owen, and right on cue, they fumbled away an easy try opportunity as Scarlets looked to crawl back into it. Side note, by the way, Sam Davies, he announced he'll be leaving Dragons after the season, and I noticed he wasn't even in the game day 23 today. Uh, I mean, are they mad at him? Anyway. 
might have been my last chance to see him for an indefinite period, so kind of bummed about that. Anyway, after about a half hour, it was 21 to 7. The teams and crowd seemed to have settled in a bit. Uh, they did the thing where they interviewed, I think it was an assistant coach, but there was no audio. Um, but the comms didn't know or notice, at least. Um, so there's just that comical few minutes where somebody asks a, qu- a question. There's an elongated pause, and then the questioner goes, ah, very good point. It's almost like a comedy routine. It's kind of great. Uh, either way, Scarlets took the easy way out, kicking the touch as soon as the clock went past 40 to lick their wounds and regroup during the break. By the 50-minute mark, Scarlets looked bamboozled. Uh, even when they had possession, they were like, uh, what? As things got outright chaotic, the comms said, well, it's opened up a bit, <laughs> but you could kind of hear them snickering about it while they were saying it. Uh, Dragons, they then put it away pretty emphatically. It was all smiles for the men from Gwent, said the comms, positively gushing at that point. Couldn't wait for the next one. 31 to 14 was your total. Good on you, Dragons. Good stuff. So Stormers versus Benetton was in Stellenbosch. Stellenbosch? Stellenbosch. Uh, unclear why it was there. I'm not, not exactly sure, but... Um, Either way, I missed the entire first half. When I did come in, it looked like a serious contest. Benetton down only seven after maybe 54 minutes. My guess is, of course, they were so disappointed that I hadn't tuned in that they just had no energy, no drive. Because from the moment I did tune in, boom, floodgates opened. Stormers getting three scores unanswered. Have to say, though, they did that thing again that they've been guilty of all this year where they sort of just take their foot off the gas and get sloppy, giving away multiple cards. They very much let Benetton hang around before finally closing that door. Wow, that was a lot of metaphors for one game. Anyway, they ended up winning 38-22 to to finish up the season. I think they're going to very much regret their performance at home these last two weeks. It does not bode well for their playoff success, and now it's just it's really hard to see anyone posing a real threat to the Leinster juggernaut. So then, Ulster were at home for Edinburgh. I admit, I was very much rooting for my buddy Craig's team to throw Monkey Wrench into the Ulster works. First, because I'd love the Craig man to have a positive ending to a very tough year, but also because Stormers lost last week, and I'm hoping to sort of keep some of the potential drama alive. So, early doors, it was Wayne Vermeulen stealing an Edinburgh lineout. I mean, it honestly looked like he'd just stolen their playbook and studied it all, all week or something. Um, and it was just out to rub it in or something. Um, just felt like a lot of warning bells for the visitors from where I sat. Side net, a side note is, is Vermeulen coming back next year? Anyone know? Let me know. Um, they should definitely hope so, though, you know, his game count isn't exactly through the roof between injuries and Springbok duties. Quote, Ulster have manufactured a one-point lead with three minutes left in the half, unquote, said the comms. And with the last second penalty by Cooney, it was 11-7 to at the break. Felt really tense. <sighs> but things would turn after that we could say um it was 25 to 7 with a yellow ticking away against edinburgh uh, approaching 10 minutes left it was a crummy ending for a crummy year for edinburgh and while ulster may have done themselves a huge favor it was 28 to 14 at the kingspan in belfast ulster officially in for the number two slot in the playoffs huge advantage for them on Saturday, it was Lions hosting Zebra. It was the visitors' last chance to get a W on the year. And with this schizo Lions team, I mean, I felt like there was a chance. Uh, Zebra, they did hold a slim lead after half an hour, getting my hopes soaring. Nothing against the Lions, by the way. I just hate the idea of a winless season. It's just so tough. And uh, at, at least none of them would get distracted by the roar of the crowd because there were like, I don't know, 73 people on hand. Anyway, naturally, the hosts got two bang-bang tries to close out the half. It was 31-22 to 22 at the intermission. I have to say, I liked a lot of what I saw from Zebra today. I, I thought they played some really good rugby despite the odds so massively stacked against them. And despite a yellow card, they were still making inroads. 
By the end, though, it was 50-35 to and a goose egg for the season. Zebre, players visibly distraught as the implications sort of sank in, some on their knees in disbelief. What a horrible feeling. I'd like to say there's light at the end of this tunnel, but on a day like today, it's just very hard to see. Bulls hosting Leinster was up next, and incredibly, I mean, I feel like there should be a drum roll here, Leinster lost a game. Seems impossible, right? And I wouldn't read too much into this one with literally nothing to play for, but it was still a bit surprising when you saw the scoreline. Bulls, they went up 10-0 after the first quarter and up 24 to nothing approaching the break. They were out for blood, eschewing easy points to continually go to the corner. A dominant performance by them. They grabbed a, a try bonus point right on the stroke of 40 minutes, and then just six minutes into the second half, it was 12 more for the home team and a yellow card to the visitors. It was an eye-popping 55-7 to as we entered the final quarter, and they still weren't done, ultimately dispatching a team that hasn't lost a single game since May 28th of last year. Holy cow. It was 62-7 to at the final hooter. Sharks versus Munster looked like an absolute cracker, but annoyingly, the broadcast, at least for me, began about 17 minutes into the game. Sharks leading at that point five to three. I mean, so to be fair, I guess I didn't miss too many fireworks, but by the way, Kerwin Bosch, what a player he's been all year. Uh, I'd hope he's, you know, he'd at least get a sniff at a Springboks call up in September. He was taking serious, uh, serious punishment out there, getting unceremoniously dumped while fielding high balls twice in like three minutes. The ref totally unconcerned and unsympathetic. Around 34 minutes, he was gingerly wincing his way off the pitch. Very much hope he's all right. So it was 19 to three. By the time the break came around in Munster, they looked flustered. Um, I imagine they'd rally in a big way, though. Making me feel like I knew what I was talking about for a change, the visitors actually came out wholly reinvigorated. And as Afalele Fasi went to the bin, you could feel the change in momentum. But then, oh my word, mark this day on your calendars, my friends, because the infallible Peter O'Mahony escalating a confrontation, choking a guy, throwing him to the ground, and possibly outright punching him. You know what? The refs actually pinged him for it. I mean, a red letter day in the URC for sure. Quote, as captain, he should know better, unquote, admonished to the comms, which totally cracked me up. Anyway, back to the action. The entrance of Ben Healy instantly gave Munster a boost. It was a one-score game just before the final quarter, and sure enough, they tied it up, and in the final, final moments, it I mean, it looked clear and obvious Munster were going to win right at the death, but held up was the call. The, t- the teams would draw the match 22-all, a bit of a bit of a whimper rather than a bang. Ospreys versus Cardiff and the, you know, the pomp and circumstance surrounding these Judgment Day fixtures at the the Principality is just top notch. None of the four teams playing there today had a shot at seeing another match this year, but the drama of these derbies is very real. Just a fantastic spectacle. Uh, There was one factor still on the line, which was winning the much disparaged Welsh Shield in the URC, which would guarantee a spot in the Heineken Cup next year, though it's hard to see that going well for any of these teams right now. So it wasn't until about the 25-minute mark that either team managed to score, Cardiff drawing first blood, and suddenly they were off to the races, shutting out the nominal host by 24 as we went to the lockers. After three quarters of an hour, Ospreys got a try of their own, but as we began the final 20 of this final day for Welsh rugby in the URC this year, it was 7-31. to 31. For those keeping track, I'm pretty sure they said this was Alan Wynne-Jones' 267th cap for the Ospreys. What a player. What a guy. His team would make a game of it, you know, 21-31 to 31 with about five minutes left. However, as the comms said, quote, this game was won in the early stages, unquote, and it was 21-38 to 38 as the final whistle marked the end 
of Judgment Day. Finishing out our regular season, it was the surprisingly good Glasgow Warriors taking on my also surprisingly good Connacht. And once again, the first part of the match was simply missing from the replay. Is that the new thing? Anyway, after a quarter hour, it was locked at seven apiece, and it was a tight one, 19-17, to 17, with under five minutes to play before the intermission. That would be the score until we entered the final quarter of play, but as George Horn guided one through for a conversion, I just thought, holy crap, that guy is so freaking good. Are you even kidding me? That kick made it 26-17. to 17. Connacht seemed out of answers. Gotta say, my boys really bore down and found a way to scrounge. I actually spent a while trying to find the perfect word, and I think it's scrounge their way back in. It was 29-27 to 27 with two and a half minutes left. Oh, my word. Penalty awarded to Connacht with a half a minute left. Quote, is it in his range? Unquote, queried the comms. It felt like the entire season rested upon the next couple of moments. But then, are you kidding me? That had to be the single most successful mall defense I've ever seen. Glasgow just willed it away from them. The referee's arm went up. Bam. What a run. Warriors on fire. By the skin of their teeth, it was 29-27 to at the end. Bravely fought Connacht, but not this time. Okay, switching over to the Gallagher Premiership. It's the second-to-last game of the year for this wonkiest of regular seasons. I imagine many teams will be grateful for it to end. And just, you know, after the next bit of European action, at least. In, in fact, I feel sure... This weekend, there were a legion of players who who were like, well, maybe I'll get suspended tonight so I can take my family to Tenerife this week. Anyway, Gloucester versus Sale was the listener's choice for our official game of the week. I was pretty excited for this one. It was good to see Gloucester in their traditional kit. Both rosters looked pretty loaded for a big clash. First 10 minutes or so, Sale looked a little out of sorts, like they hadn't quite found their motivation somehow, and it looked like Gloucester were ready to take advantage. However, it was one of those things where you you kind of hope it wasn't a microcosm of how the Cherry and White's evening was going to go when Lewis Reese-Samit, he caught a ball out wide, and for whatever reason, he only gave it like, I don't know, two-thirds of his usual gas, allowing a Sale defender to catch up with him. As he leapt for the corner, there was knee-on-knee contact. His try was disallowed on review, leaving Gloucester scoreless and with a limping winger. Not good. It took until just after the 20-minute mark for anyone to score. Sharks breaking the drought with an easy three, and we looked to be in for a tight one. Hastings tied it up just over the half-hour mark, but it was Sale getting the first try and taking a seven-point lead heading into the lockers. Gloucester tied it up pretty early in the second period, and then they mentioned, I I swear, in this exact phrasing, the Mind Gym, the gym for the mind, which probably needs a trademark symbol next to it at this point. Too funny. Um, shaking off discomfort, it was Lewis Rees-Zamet putting the hammer down for a try to take the lead. You had to wonder if Sale had forgotten to wipe down the equipment after they used the Mind Gym. John O'Ross, uh, he tied things up at 17. Sale looked to retake the lead as we began the final quarter of action. As this one wound down, it was the Sharks making all the plays just getting those little tidbits that can close out a close contest. And with Hastings shanking a, a pretty easy one that would have given them a, you know, a slight bit of hope, Gloucester went down at home 22-25. to 25. The actual first game of the weekend, of course, was Newcastle versus Northampton on Friday. And if you haven't seen it, just go back and take a look. Just in the opening few moments, that first try by the Falcons, I mean, that's why we watch. What an... What a moment of acrobatic glory from Adam Radwan. Of course, I continue to be surprised by how successful Saints have been this year, and they quickly turned it around. It was 5-28 at the break, the home side unable to get anything going after the promise of those opening moments. 
Things got worse in the second half. It was 5-54 to 54 as, we, as we entered the final quarter of play, with Austin Healy sardonically mentioning Falcons needed to be careful to avoid their biggest ever defeat. I think he said it was 73, but, you know, it's kind of hard to listen to him sometimes. Uh, I wonder how that feels. Uh, with a score of 5-66, to 66, with three minutes still remaining, and the Saints on the move, it was seriously in play, that record, but... That's where the score would land. Quote, they've been chastened tonight, unquote. They said in the booth, and yeah. 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 Moving on to Saturday, we had Exeter versus Bristol. I obviously didn't watch that garbage, but for scientific purposes, the score was, in fact, 22-21. to 21. Then it was Harlequins versus Bath. The comms started by mentioning that Quins were all smiling and laughing to start the match, while Bath were all business. Would that be a factor today, I wrote. Either way, it turned into a great contest. Those smiles started to, 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 to disappear as they found themselves with double yellow cards. The comms asked, what do they do here? Just try to waste time and see out the half? Which was the perfect cue for a gorgeous hookup between Marcus Smith and Joe Marchant, who worked their magic for a go-ahead try. Just classic. Both sides on three tries. It was 21-24 to 24 around the 55-minute mark. Both teams effectively just playing for pride at this point. Bath have actually been showing some real spark of late. They mentioned as the lead seesawed back in their favor, it was the first time in their history they'd gotten try bonus points in five consecutive matches. What a great stat. Bath's sixth try seemed to put this one to bed. What a match we had. And as the clock read 80-plus, it was the visitors taking another one from the schizophrenic Harlequins 35 to 45, 80 points total to make it three in a row. Interesting side note, Harlequins had actually chosen to play this game at Twickenham rather than at the Stoop. They might not have noticed that historically, until this day, Bath were 14 and four when they play at Twickenham. A little uh, research slip up on their part, perhaps. Anyway, finally, Saracens took on London, London Irish at the Stone X with some actual playoff implications on the line. But as we know, Series are a very tough nut to crack at home. In fact, they said a win today would set a club record with 17 straight at home. The last loss coming in January of 2022. Holy cow. However, the Exiles, they came out firing, quickly racking up eight points. The home side was basically invisible for the first 20 minutes. The next hour, though, I mean... <laughs> It was an absolute clinic, just piling score upon score. London Irish eventually, you know, slowly getting a couple scores of their own. But by maybe the 55-minute mark, it was a foregone conclusion. Uh, I can't believe I'm going to say this. Owen Farrell, I begrudgingly admit, had an amazing game, getting player of the match and steering his team to an emphatic 45-21 to win to dash their guests' playoff hopes entirely. Impressive and thorough showing by Saracens. Okay, dancing on over to the top 14, we had our usual full slate, and as usual, six of our games were on Saturday, starting with your choice for the game of the week, La Rochelle versus Clermont, and, uh, you know, for the other fixtures, I have to, again, apologize for having only scores, I promise to pay closer attention in the coming weeks. So, it had been eight matches since La Rochelle had lost in any competition, and it was a beautiful day on the Atlantic coast, perfect for a key matchup with only a handful left in the season. The visitors had two consecutive chances uh, chances to slot through penalties before 10 minutes had even elapsed and shanked both of them. I, I wondered if they would quickly switch to a different kicker, though, you know, to be fair, I wasn't sure who that might be. That was the cue for the host to just turn it on. They erupted for three unanswered tries just in the first half, looking basically unstoppable. However, 
I don't, I mean, I don't know if they started celebrating in the locker rooms or, or just what, because they couldn't do anything right after halftime. Claremont, they managed to claw their way back in it with about a, a quarter hour remaining. A converted try would have seen them get a shocking come from behind win. And for the last 10 minutes, I mean, the wheels completely came off this game. The comms describing the scenes as looking like a sevens tournament, just pure chaos. Neither side could keep hold of the ball at all, but a random bounce led to a La Rochelle try to put the matter to rest. An absolute bonkers ending. And that's how it would indeed end the home team likely shutting doors and any postseason aspirations for the visitors, though we will look at that in the next couple of weeks. So by the end, La Rochelle got what they wanted and looked terrible doing it. Such a strange league sometimes, this one. The final score for this, 26-13. to 13. Next up, we had Bayonne versus Montpellier, a real close one, the home team winning 33-30. to 30. Breve versus Poe made it three straight for the home teams, 22 to 17. Cast versus Toulon kept the streak alive, 31 to 18. Perpignan versus Racing, a bit of a surprise. The home streak continued for the week. What has happened to Racing? 30 to 21 in this one. And then it was a real cracker with Stade Francais at home for Toulouse. Once again, being at home paid off with Toulouse only able to uh, muster 10 total points, 19 to 10 in that one. And then finally on Sunday, it was the Border Beagles taking on Lyon. And that, you know, made it seven out of seven for the round. Bordeaux winning handsomely against Trilus Lyon, 23 to nine to end out the round in the top 14. Okay, swooping way down to Super Rugby Pacific, we got started with the undefeated Chiefs hosting the Indrua. This one kicked off the Anzac round, which is always a seriously moving series of events. It's like a league-wide memorial as well as a sort of celebration. They are just really, really good at putting these spectacles together. As for the match itself, it was absolutely pouring out. And the comms, they warned us that it would be a low-scoring and sloppy affair, and boy, were they wrong. It was fast-paced, there was a ton of phase play, and a shockingly low count for ball-handling errors. Just really an amazing example of how good this competition can be, though it began to lean uh, lean a little bit towards blowout as the hosts grabbed their fifth try just before the half. It was 31-12 to at the break. Woof! In the second half, the visitors got back within two scores, but that's when Chiefs found the gas pedal, just blew them away. 50-17 to 17 was the massive score by the end. The home team on an eight-game winning streak. So Rebels versus Crusaders saw the guests again wearing their weird, we kind of look like the Brumbies kits. And this one, I mean, man, oh man, you know me. I'm always rooting for the underdog, and I was excited to see the hosts take a 24-14 to 14 lead into the intermission. Felt a little frustrated with Ben O'Keefe as things wore uh, wore on. He seemed to think that only the Rebels were capable of forward passes or knock-ons. But either way, okay, everybody say it with me. This is the Crusaders. And they they smashed through to take a nine-point lead with just minutes to spare. And then, you know, it was over. As the clock approached the 82-minute mark, there they were for the bonus point try, taking down a spunky Melbourne side, 27-43. to Holy cow. The third of the four fixtures this weekend was Blues back at home for the Waratahs. The home side looked intent on making a statement, jumping out to a 10-0 lead before a quarter hour had gone by. Taz unable to get much possession and looking on their back heels from the very get-go. They showed a really telling stat, by the way, breaking down when the Blues get most of their scoring. I was surprised to see in the first and third quarters of these games, they are eighth in the competition and seventh in the final quarter, the second quarter. 
is apparently where they feast, topping the league between the 20th and 40th minutes. But today, that stat was seriously challenged. But don't forget, here we go. This is the Blues, and a late try, along with two yellows against their guests, saw them gain a comparatively modest 20-7 to advantage heading into the locker room. It wasn't until around the 60-minute mark that the Taws would score again, giving us a nice palindromic 41-14 to scoreline as the swirling mists and rain came in. The rain and the accompanying fog really started to hamper visibility on the pitch, but you know what? Host didn't care, racking up a double nickel, 55-21 to as we reached full-time. Finally, it was the Western Force back in Perth to welcome a depleted and struggling Highlanders team, this time without Aaron Smith or Falau Fakataba, just to name a couple. Okay, <laughs> gotta like take a breath and pause here. I'm not one to go for conspiracies in general, and I don't really believe a ref would ever sort of be out to get a team, but if I was that sort of person, this contest would have absolutely made me feel certain about it. Nick Barry coming across as intentionally and aggressively anti-Highlanders. I mean, it was shocking, I thought. Case in point, in the first half, he showed yellow to Pari Pari Parkinson, and when the captain said, we haven't gotten a warning, sir, Barry said, he's infringed twice, there's your warning, and practically spat it out. Fast forward to the second half, similar situation in reverse, and he calmly says to the force, okay, that's three penalties in quick quick succession. Next one, someone goes to the bin. Are you kidding me? So, as the comms said, he was, quote, <laughs> handing out a lot of cheese today, craft singles everywhere, unquote. And he had, at that point, he'd shown yellow six times with a full half hour left to go. It was astonishing. Okay, sour grapes aside, Highlanders couldn't get out of their own way anyway for long chunks of time. Force generally played really well, so ref rant over. Good job, Force. A bad day for me and my Highlanders regardless. Dropping one in Perth, 30-17 to to close out the Super Rugby weekend. Okay, that brings us back to the United States and Major League Rugby in the MLR. We were back at Fort Quincy where my Free Jacks were facing a tough Atlanta team. It was an awesome match. Great atmosphere as always. But, you know, slow going for my guys, who trailed actually 5-13 to 13 at the break. The Snaky Snakes were looking really good at that point. I don't know what Coach Matthew said during the break, but it, it worked. We found a whole new gear and eventually grabbed the lead. Holden Youngert, I thought, made a real impact off the bench. And Vian Conradi, he was back to his usual rampaging self. One ongoing issue. Jesse, the past Peretti, who is really leaning into his nickname this year. This was the second time he got two yellows and found himself tossed out of the game. Just not good on the discipline side. By the end, though, it didn't look as close as it actually was. The Free Jacks remaining undefeated at home, and I mean all time, taking this one 23-13 and dealing a blow to one of the only other contenders here in the Eastern Conference a DC versus Utah was up next, and I, for one, was pretty surprised to see Old Glory take down a very good Warriors team in fairly comfortable style as well, winning by two converted tries, 36-22 to in that one. Then, whew, it was a scary matchup on paper with Dallas back at home to face the San Diego Legion. To their credit, Jackals continue to, uh, to improve and progress. They managed to score a robust 38 points against a powerhouse visiting team, but... San Diego, they can beat you with offense or defense. And today, it was the former. They still managed to win by 9, 38 
to 47. Good game, that one. Chicago, they were back at the Seat Geek Stadium, the site of this year's Shield Final, hosting NOLA, and the gold were again too much for them. The puppies uh, dropping another home game, this time 24 to 37. Chicago set the MLR attendance record in their home opener. I wonder how that's gone since then. Finally, the New York Pet Psychics took on Houston, and I'm very, very, very pleased to report that New York went down yet again, losing 27 to 34 in Mount Vernon. You love, love, love to see it, right? Well, by the music, you'll know it's time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award. And this week, the award goes to Caleb Clark. Mr. Clark, you absolutely tore it up for the Blues this weekend, getting abrasive tries and racking up, I'm not kidding, 192 meters along the way. You've also added some hard-nosed defense to your repertoire this season, and you were an inspiration for your top-notch performance from your Blues in Auckland. So, Caleb Clark... Congratulations to you, sir. You are this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award winner. Well done. Okay, my friends, that brings us to our updates and previews. This weekend is, of course, the final round of Women's Six Nations for the year. It'll feature England versus France. Oh, man. I wish they would have, you know, would have scheduled that one last, obviously. But anyway, then we'll have Italy back at home for Wales. And to finish off the tournament this year, it's Scotland looking to put Ireland out of their misery. Go Scotland! So it's amazing now to look back on what for me has been a great season in year two of the URC. Just over seven months ago, things kicked off with Benetton beating the Glasgow Warriors. 33 to 11 in Treviso. And here we are now, Glasgow getting a final bookend of the season by beating my guys from Galway 29 to 27. That means after we take a break next week for the semifinals in the European Cups, it'll be playoff time. It's an exciting series of matchups to determine who will get to lose badly to Leinster in the final. <laughs> on, uh, on Cinco de Mayo, we're looking at Glasgow getting us started against Munster. Oh, that's going to be good. Then the Stormers and the Bulls face off in South Africa. Then it's the Irish Derby Ulster hosting Connacht at the Kingspan. And then it'll be Leinster feeling the sting of their first loss in 11 months, taking on the Sharks of the Celsea variety. I mean, what do you think? I'm going to put out a little poll on the Twitters this week. And uh, who do you have winning these games? Please add your voice. Let me know. No points awarded for saying Leinster, by the way, but get in touch and I'll give my own picks as well. And we see how we'll see how we all do next week. Super rugby Pacific rolls on next week, back to a full slate of fixtures and it's culture round this time. I can't wait for that. It's always so good. The games will of course feature hurricanes versus the Brumbies, the Waratahs taking on my Highlanders. Drua will be facing the blues. Moana Pacifica will be taking on the rebels chiefs versus crusaders. Oh, in an obvious game of the week matchup. And finally, Reds versus the Force. In the aforementioned European action, the Heineken Cup semis bring us Leinster versus Toulouse. Uh, hold on. I, just, I have to take a second to mop up some drool. Uh, anyway, then it's La Rochelle versus Exeter. In the Challenge Cup, it'll be Scarlets versus Glasgow. Scarlets hosting that one. And Toulon versus Benetton. How happy must Benetton be at this point? So, 
back home in the good old MLR. We've got Seattle hosting Dallas. NOLA versus Toronto. My Free Jacks at home once again for the New, uh, the New York Bus Boys. And the round finishes with a huge matchup. San Diego Legion at home for the Houston Thundercats. What a weekend! Well, my friends, that does it for yet another week. And on one hand, I'm kind of sad these competitions are nearing their various ends for another year. But on the other hand, oh, things get so good this time of year. Lots of amazing and still to come. So please continue to join us. And by the way, if you haven't already, just do me a favor. Leave a nice review. It really helps to grow the show. So as always, thanks again for coming along to all of you across the globe. Cheers. Talk to you soon and be well.